Hello and welcome to Dedicated Packers, the podcast where we do cover the Green Bay Packers. And we don't cover anything else. Let's go. All right, hello and welcome back to Dedicated Packers. It is Wednesday, January 31st, and we have, well, two things to talk about today. So, first of all, I was going, I was all excited to talk about the future, looking to the future, set the context for the offseason and the offseasons ahead as we look at how Green Bay is going to build their team to be competitive going forward. Unfortunately, About an hour or two before I wanted to record, we got some news, and that is that the Packers are going to hire Jeff Halfley to be the new Green Bay Packers defensive coordinator. Pete Thamel, a college writer for ESPN, he was first on the story. And man, I I had a little bit of news planned where I was going to talk about Green Bay's two recent interviews, Denard Wilson and, and Zachary Orr from Baltimore, how they'd shot right up there among the list of my favorite defensive coordinator candidates. And then Matt hit us pretty much right out of the blue and said, nope, sorry, I've got something else planned. And oh boy, did he have something else planned because Matt says, Jeff Halfley is our new DC. And this is not a guy that I had ever talked about, not a guy that many people had talked about as Green Bay's DC. But wow, he is Green Bay's defensive coordinator as a Cubs fan. This is, and I'm sorry for all the Brewers fans out there, but this is this brings me back to a couple months ago when the Chicago Cubs hired Craig Council to the, to be their manager because there were no reports whatsoever about this Craig Council we knew was probably moving on from Milwaukee. Sorry for the baseball talk here, but and also sorry to the Brewers fans. I know a lot of you listening to this probably are, but we knew Craig Council was going to move out of Milwaukee. We just assumed he'd go somewhere like New York, and then there were really no reports about the Cubs or him talking with the Cubs, and then the bombshell broke that Craig Council was going to the Cubs. Now, obviously, this is not quite the same because Craig Council was extremely and is extremely well-known in the MLB, is widely regarded as one of the top managers there. Jeff Halfley is not nearly as much as well regarded in in NFL circles. He's had some NFL experience, but he has never really coordinated a defense in the NFL level. And let's be honest, nobody was talking about him as a defensive coordinator candidate for many teams, but apparently Matt felt that he was. So here's what I'm going to do. Because I still want to get to this future episode that I had planned, and I didn't want to half-ass a Jeff Halfley breakdown come in you know, put in an hour, an hour, two hours of work, and then record a long and pretty important episode about Jeff Halfley, because I didn't want to do that. I'm still going to talk about the future today. I'm going to do the episode that I had planned. But before we do that, I'm going to devote five, ten minutes to Jeff Halfley, a short, relatively sweet breakdown of Halfley, his career, what I want him to bring to Green Bay, and what I hope he will. So. Most recently, Jeff Halfley was the head coach of Boston College. He was there for four years, three of which he, in three of which, he brought them to bowl eligibility. And he's a friend of Matt LaFleur and Matt LaFleur's friends like Robert Sala. 
He's young, just 44 years old, actually the exact same age as Matt LaFleur, and that makes him by far the youngest defensive coordinator that Green Bay has hired really since Ed Donatel way back in 2000, who I think was also right around age 44 at the time. So yeah, pretty young hire. I like that. Always like that. And Halfley's decision to leave college football reportedly had something to do with how much college coaching has turned into recruiting. It's not as much about football anymore. And Halfley clear, clearly wanted to go to the NFL, do some real football stuff. And now he gets to work with a historic franchise. Looking at Halfley's career, he really started in 2001 at WPI as a running as a running backs coach, then kind of bounced around a little bit, ultimately went to Albany, was a defensive backs coach there from 2004 to 2005, went to Pittsburgh and went worked his way up really from a defensive assistant to a defensive backs coach there from 2008 to 2010, went to Rutgers for a year, and then moved up to the NFL level, became an assistant defensive backs coach in Tampa Bay was eventually promoted to the full-time defensive backs coach in Tampa in 2013. Then he moved to Cleveland, where Mike Pettin, ex-Packers DC, worked. He was there from 2014 to 2015. And then he was brought along to San Francisco from 2016 to 2018, two of the years in which Robert Sala was there, where he was the defensive backs coach under Robert Sala after a pretty damn successful stint in San Francisco as the DB's coach. He moved to Ohio State, where he was both the DB's coach at Ohio State and the co-defensive coordinator, had a tremendous amount of success there in his one year in 2019, was offered the Boston College head coaching job, and was there for four years from 2020 to 2024, where obviously he was offered the Green Bay Packers defensive coordinator job. So that's his history, and it's relatively promising. A lot of success there, defensive backs under him, have seemed to play really well and developed really well. He got some elite secondary play out of Tampa Bay's secondary in his time there. He had Jeff Okuda become and really grow into the third overall pick after Halfley's one season with him in Ohio State in 2019. And perhaps most notably, 49ers cornerback Richard Sherman, potential future Hall of Famer, massively praised Jeff Halfley. He said, quote, his preparation is some of the best I've seen. I've had some great defensive backs coaches, great defensive coaches, great defensive minds, and he's right up there. Yeah, uh, I mean, about as much praise as you're going to get, and that is a ringing endorsement from Richard Sherman. Additionally, you want to just look at defenses under him. They have looked very good when he went to Ohio State as a co-defensive coordinator. The Ohio State defense experienced a massive jump. They went from 72nd in the nation in terms of yards allowed per play to first in the nation. An incredible, incredible jump from then, from them. And then at Boston College, you also saw a massive, massive defensive improvement as Halfley came in. He had a lot of success in really all of his stops. He also, if you want to look at his coaching tree lineage, he worked under Pettin in Cleveland, Robert Sala again for two years in San Francisco. By all accounts, it seems like his defensive play style is quite similar to Robert Sala's. And that is an awesome sign because Robert Sala has had a lot, a lot, a lot of success in New York with the Jets. One of the top defenses this year was Robert Sala's in New York. From the minimal clips we've gotten as we move sort of into his defensive philosophy, I really like what I'm hearing. In an interview with Adam Brenneman, he talked about how he plays a lot of middle field closed, basically means single high safety, more cover one, more cover three. 
Obviously, that's not what we saw under Joe Barry. Joe Barry liked to play a lot of cover two and two high safety. Halfley also talked a lot about how much he likes disguising coverages, making things tough on a quarterback. Awesome. And then there was a presentation circulating that described, or, or that was one of his presentations, that described or where he outlined and described the value and importance of playing, guess what? Guess what, guys? Press man coverage, which, I mean, that is the polar opposite of everything we saw with Joe Barry. He also briefly mentioned playing with four down linemen. That's more of a 4-3 style of defense, though really everybody plays nickel now. It's not really like that matters, though some of the tendencies do change from 3-4 to 4-3. Halfley seems to run more of the 4-3 style, and Barry and a lot of the Packers DCs have run more of the 3-4 style. So that's my quick rundown on Jeff Halfley. Matt's statement, Matt's official statement that the Packers released, quote, Jeff has had success at every stop of his coaching career with an impressive track record of developing players at every level. We look forward to him leading our defense. And that's kind of where we're at with it. My my main two takeaways are, number one, the Packers seem to be shifting their style of defense. Yet again, they went from Mike Pettin to Joe Barry and now to a more... Robert Sala style of defense. I think Matt is clearly looking for a more aggressive, dictating, attacking defense. I'm excited to see it. I'm glad Matt decided to go this way. And I, yeah, I can't wait to see how that plays out. My second main takeaway, we just got to see how this plays out. I don't want to make any bold predictions right now. We think we know what Halfley's going to bring, but he has talked about how different the NFL is from the college level. So I do expect to see some changes to his defense and what we saw from him in college. I also am curious to figure out how excellent he's going to be as a teacher at preaching fundamentals and getting a defense to play sound, fast, physical football, which is something I talked quite a bit about in the in the last episode we did. Ultimately, I'm excited to dive further into Halfley. I can't wait to see how the defense looks under him, and I will have more for you on Sunday about what exactly I expect from this defense under Halfley. So, with that being said, let's jump into the episode I had planned. And that episode is, where does Green Bay go now? We're looking to the future for the Green Bay Packers because we've talked about our takeaways from 2023. I just talked about it, I guess, a week ago, as of today. And as we as we look back at the season where the Packers ultimately ended up losing in the divisional round, I think it's worth asking, where do they go now, both in the short term and the long term, and how do they get how do they get to the to the places they wish to reach in the short term and the long term? I think this episode will be a massive part of setting up context around all future episodes. I think this will help me as a Packers fan justify my feelings on different moves that Green Bay makes, and it will help us as fans understand why they're making every move, presumably because they're going to be trying to chase the goals that I'm going to go about describing in this episode. So as we've done before, but we're going to do it again, let's start just to set the stage with a quick recap of this past season. So this season was a roller coaster, no question, up and down and up and down and up and down. Now ultimately ended in a crushing, but remarkably optimistic playoff loss, right? A lot of optimism surrounding the loss while still 
being absolutely soul-crushing. And the Packers, they ended the season before losing to the 49ers by winning four straight. They won three to get into the playoffs against Carolina and then Minnesota and then Chicago. And then obviously they beat, as Pat McAfee said, earmuffs, the dog shit out of the Dallas Cowboys. That's one of my favorite Pat McAfee quotes ever. Uh, so yeah, a lot of optimism despite that crushing loss. And the most probably the biggest reason for optimism is that the Packers average age was under 26 years old. They were 25.6, I want to say, in terms of average age. That is That was by far the youngest team in the NFL this season. They set the new record for the youngest team ever to win a playoff game, and that's awesome. But as we move to our expectations, this is what they've done now. They've been to the divisional round. All of their pieces, their big pieces, definitely on offense, those guys are all staying around. So what are we looking for in 2024? In the short term, i.e. next year, 2024, the goal is to win a Super Bowl. The Green Bay Packers should be, and hopefully will be, trying to win a Super Bowl. And I think that is a very, very realistic goal. Now. If they don't win the Super Bowl, am I going to say the season was a failure? No, absolutely not. I I just talked about this last episode. Just because you don't win the Super Bowl doesn't make the season a failure. It is ultimately the moments, the highs that you experience during the season that make it so awesome. Will I be disappointed if they don't win a Super Bowl? A little bit. I think I'll mainly be disappointed if they don't make the playoffs. The Green Bay Packers have to make the playoffs next year. They did it this year. The goal is that you're better next year. So they have to make the playoffs next year. And they made the divisional round this year. The goal is to go further than that next year. And that is that is the expectation. That is just the reality of the situation. It is what they've done to themselves. As the old adage as the old adage goes, they done messed up because they set the standard. And Matt knows that. Matt knows that the expectation now is that this team comes back better. And he talked about that a lot in his season-ending press conference. This team has shown that they can win playoff games. And in 2024, the goal is that they're going to do that again and do that to a greater extent. Instead of just winning one playoff game, the goal is to win two, three, and ultimately go to a Super Bowl. So... That is the, the, those are the short-term expectations. So again, short-term expectations. Go compete with the best teams. Go win a Super Bowl. They showed that they can do that this year. You got to do it again. You got to do it again. They did it this year, but the job isn't done. They obviously didn't finish the job this year. You got to go do it again. You got to go compete with the best teams. That's their job. Now, long-term expectations. The expectation is that they're going to, I said they got to compete for a Super Bowl in 2024. They have to continue to compete for a Super Bowl for honestly, not to get too ahead of ourselves here, but the next 15 years or so. And these expectations, these long-term expectations are fully based on what happened this year. Because if if they'd gone through this season, had the same results, maybe they, they beat up on Dallas, they lost to San Francisco, but... All of their success came on the back of Aaron Jones, the defense. Well, then we'd be having a different conversation. But their success didn't come on the back of just Aaron Jones and the defense. It came on the back, honestly, mainly of Jordan Love. And 
what that tells us is that the Packers found a guy. They found a guy that I don't I don't know where he ranks among the quarterbacks in the NFL. There's a lot of freaking awesome quarterbacks. We just saw Patrick Mahomes go out there and look like the best quarterback ever. Literally. No hyperbole. But I can tell you one thing. They found a guy in Jordan Love that can go out there on any given Sunday and outduel any opposing quarterback on the opposing sideline. That is the reality of the situation. Don't believe me? Look at this year. Jordan Love went out there. He outdueled Dak Prescott in their their most recent game. Murdered guys like Nick Mullins and Jared Goff in on Thanksgiving. And you wanna you wanna look at the guy that I just called the best quarterback in the NFL, Patrick Mahomes. He didn't fare so well against Jordan Love. Now I get it. The quarterbacks aren't playing each other, but Jordan Love outdueled Patrick Mahomes in that week 13 Packers win against Kansas City. Jordan Love can go out there and beat any given quarterback and any given team on any given day. Now can he do it with the consistency that Aaron Rodgers did it? I, I don't know. I don't know about that, but I don't think he has to. I think he, all you got to know is that Jordan Love, in the majority of games, will give the Packers an advantage at the quarterback spot, and in the playoffs, he can give them an advantage in any given game. And so that means that Green Bay's goal as a franchise should be to get back to their 15-year championship window. With Jordan Love at the helm, they have to continue to compete for years on end, and they did it incredibly in the Aaron Rodgers era. They, honestly, they competed from 2019 to 20, not 2019, 2009 to 2022. That is, I mean, if we take out the injury plague 2017 season, that is 14 years of straight up competition. It is 12 years of extreme relevance because they missed the playoffs in 2018, in 2022, and 2017. So I guess 11 years of extreme competitive playoff football. And in those years, they made the NFC Championship game five times. They went to the Super Bowl once and won it once. They went to to the divisional round eight times. And some people will still and do call that era a disappointment because they didn't win more. They didn't win more than one Super Bowl. They didn't even make it there more than once. I get that. I get how you can consider it disappointing that you had this Hall of Fame quarterback for, what, 15 years? You had 11 years where you really had a good shot at the Super Bowl and you couldn't punch it in more than once. I get how that is frustrating and disappointing, but this organization should try to do that exact same thing again. No, they shouldn't try to only win one Super Bowl again, but the goal should, I mean, first of all, be to first win one Super Bowl, and then it should be to get those 11 years, as they had with Aaron Rodgers, of extreme, extreme relevance. Because, and if they do that, if, honestly, if Jordan Love, Matt LaFleur, and Brian Gutekunst just win one Super Bowl, they're going to be immortalized forever in Green Bay with the likes of Ted Thompson, Mike McCarthy, and Aaron Rodgers. And then the goal is to keep winning. And ultimately, as I talked about at the end of my 2023 Takeaways episode on Sunday, go check it out, it's about the journey. And the hope is that in these next 15 years with Jordan Love, not only are they going to win a Super Bowl, two Super Bowls, three Super Bowls, that should be the goal, but the goal, the bigger, the broader goal as a fan is that the next 15 years are going to be a journey and we're going to embark on this journey that I am pretty sure is going to be filled with enough memories to last a lifetime.
So how do they get there? All right. Short-term goal, go win a Super Bowl next year. Long-term goal, open a sustained 15-year window of competitive football. But how do you get there? Because I talked about, I just said it, that's what they need to do. But I don't want to understate how hard it is to to sustain success in the NFL. It is one of the hardest things to do in all of professional sports because of the parity in the NFL. Just ask the Atlanta Falcons. I guarantee after their crushing Super Bowl loss in 2016, 20, I guess it was technically 2017, it was the year 2017, but the 2016 season, I bet you a bunch of people were saying, hey, the Falcons will be back. But guess what? They were never back. They never went back. They lost their offensive coordinator, Kyle Shanahan, to San Francisco. He went on to be probably the best coach in the NFL right now. It is one of the hardest things to do in sports, especially in the NFL, to sustain success. But the Packers have managed to do it. In fact, the hardest thing to do in sports, I just said it, sustain success, they've been able to do that for honestly 30 years or so. How did they do it? the Packer way. And this Packer way has pissed a lot of fans off. The Packers have taken a bunch of flack for not going quote-unquote all in. Though, I would quibble that they they did go all in in 2021 and 2022. Where did that get you? But a, a lot of Packers fans like to say this team never goes all in. Okay, that's fine. You can have that stance. I do think for the most part you're correct. But my counter if you if the fans want the Packers to go all in would be what would you rather would you rather a 10% chance at a Super Bowl for two years or a three two three percent chance at a Super Bowl for 15 years that's the difference that is the difference between the I know the LA Rams look really good right now, but that is the difference between the LA Rams or the Dallas Cowboys, whose owner, Jerry Jones, just said, we're going all in next year. We're not planning for the future. That is the difference between those teams and the Green Bay Packers. And I know you can look at the LA Rams and say they have the same number of Super Bowls as the Green Bay Packers do over the last 10 years. Sure. But you can also look at a team like the New Orleans Saints who has the same number of Super Bowls, went all in in the most recent five years and now sucks. And you can also, if we still want to go back to the LA Rams-Green Bay Packers comparison, I think you could definitely argue that Green Bay Packers fans have been happier over the course of the last decade than LA Rams fans. Because sure, Rams fans got that magical Super Bowl run where they won a Super Bowl. They also got a nice little run in 2018. But the Packers have been able to have success for an entire decade and win games and go to the playoffs for an entire decade, while the Rams have managed to do it, what, three, four times in the last decade? It just happens that when they are in the playoffs, they're really, really, really good. So, it seems pretty clear to me that this Packer way of sustaining success and finding success and continuing success for 30 straight years, where no, you're not going to be the best team in the NFL every year, but you're going to be a top team in the NFL, and you're always going to give yourself a chance to go out there and win that Lombardi trophy. It seems pretty clear to me that that is the approach I want the Packers to take, and honestly, that's the approach they're going to take. It's called the Packer way for a reason. So what is that Packer way? Draft, develop, and stay smart. The Packers, I talked about it, they never went all in again until 2021 or so. They never 
what does that mean going all in? They never splurged on massive free agent contracts. They never made major trades like the LA Rams where they're spending all their first round picks on guys like Jalen Ramsey, jeopardizing those draft picks, and then having to take a year to recoup those draft picks or two years or three years. They draft, they develop, and then they move on a year too early rather than one too late. And that idea of drafting, developing, and then moving on a year too early rather than one too late means they're never in debt. They're, they never have a hole that they have to climb out of. And as the Rams did, or as teams like the Saints are doing right now, they never have to take years away from their potentially competitive windows to get out of their hole. The organization is always in a healthy spot. I feel like that is the best. You want to sum up the Packer way in as few words as possible. It means maximizing the average health of the organization over the existence, the duration of the existence of the franchise. That is the Packer way. And again, to do that, you, you draft, you develop, and then you stay smart. So how do you do that? Well, let's look at the Aaron Rodgers era. The Packers were money, absolute money at developing homegrown talent. If we look at the top contributors at each position in the Aaron Rodgers era, let's look at how the Packers got them. Top contributor, obviously, at the quarterback position, the only contributor, Aaron Rodgers. He was drafted by the Green Bay Packers. Top running backs through the era, James Starks, Eddie Lacy, I guess you could throw Ty Montgomery in there, Aaron Jones. Those guys were all drafted by the Green Bay Packers. Top receivers, this is a beautiful list. Donald Driver, Greg Jennings, Jordy Nelson, James Jones, Devontae Adams, Randall Cobb, all drafted. Top tight ends in the Aaron Rodgers era, not that there were many, I guess the main one was Jermichael Finley, but he was drafted. Top lineman, another gorgeous list to go through. Josh Sitton, Chad Clifton, Mark Tauscher, TJ Lane, Brian Bulaga, JC Treader, David Bakhtiari, Corey Lindsley, Elton Jenkins, all drafted. Every single one of those guys, ever, all of those guys, and I think it's pretty clear that those were the big contributors on offense through, through their successful seasons, through the Aaron Rodgers era, every single one of those guys was drafted by the Green Bay Packers. On defense, it looks pretty similar. The top defensive linemen, BJ Raji, Mike Daniels, Kenny Clark, all those guys were drafted. Edge guys, Clay Matthews, Rashawn Gary, both of those guys were drafted. The other main contributor, and this guy was a massive contributor, was Julius Peppers, and he is the one guy that wasn't drafted thus far in the list. Top cornerbacks, Charles Woodson, he was drafted by the Raiders, so that's another one. We've got Julius Peppers and Charles Woodson, but then Tremont Williams was signed as a UDFA, first by Arizona, but really was developed by Green Bay. Sam Shields signed as a UDFA by Green Bay. Casey Hayward drafted by Green Bay, and Jair Alexander also drafted by Green Bay. At safety, guys like Nick Collins, Micah Hyde, Main contributors, both of those guys were drafted, and Mason Crosby drafted. So on offense and defense, really the only two big contributors over the Aaron Rodgers era that weren't totally drafted and developed by Green Bay, Charles Woodson and Julius Peppers. And those two, don't get me wrong, those two were massive contributors, and they played, I mean, Charles Woodson played an incredible part in the Packers Super Bowl run. Julius Peppers was obviously a big part in Green Bay's success in a lot of their seasons, though he never won a Super Bowl with Green Bay. But aside from those guys, everybody was drafted. Every single massive contributor on the offensive side, drafted. 100% homegrown talent. 
That is ridiculous. And that is not easy to do. But the fact that they did it did wonderful things for the Packers franchise. It made sure that they never had to tank. They were never, as I talked about, they were never blowing their draft picks because they needed to get good talent in trades and then having having to take seasons to recover their sunk assets. In fact, when it came to paying guys, they didn't pay free agents. They decided to spend their money on their homegrown talent, and they spent it smartly. They would extend the guys they drafted and developed if they were deserving. They re-signed their best guys. I mean, obviously, they gave Aaron Rodgers numerous contracts because he was and I mean, was up until this past year, he was the franchise. They gave their best players at other positions, David Bakhtiari, Aaron Jones, Devontae Adams, Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, Corey Lindsley, Elton Jenkins, Kenny Clark, Rashawn Gary, Clay Matthews, Jair Alexander. They gave Brian Bulaga. They gave all of those guys second-year contracts because those guys were massive contributors to the team. They valued what they did in their first five years for the team, so they said, hey, Here's another contract. Keep doing this with us. Keep helping us be this incredibly successful franchise. And then the very best players, those borderline Hall of Famers, those are the rare guys that they decided to splurge on and give the third contracts. Because by the third contract, guys are usually getting up there in age. But if you're really that dude, like, for example, Aaron Rodgers was, he's the obvious one to go to, they say, we don't care that you're, oh, Aaron Rodgers, you're 30 now? Great. You have another eight years of competitive play with you. So they give him third contract. With Aaron, I'm pretty sure they gave him four contracts. For him, they gave him four contracts, maybe five. Regardless, they give out contracts as the years go along. At some point, they move on. They moved on from a bunch of the guys on this list. Jordy Nelson, they moved on from probably actually right at the right time. Randall Cobb, they moved on from probably also right around the right time, though they then brought him back at Aaron's request. Corey Lindsley, they moved on from probably a year too early. Other guys, Clay Matthews, they moved on from. Devontae Adams, they wanted to give him that third contract, but they, they couldn't quite get it done. They're really, really, really good, first of all, at drafting and developing, as I talked about, but then at figuring out who are the guys we want to give the money to, the second time, and then who do we want to give money to the third time? When do we want to stop? When do we want to move on? And as we move forward now, as we look to the future, I expect Green Bay to do the exact same thing. And they're off to an extremely hot start, honestly. If you look at their offense right now, they drafted Jordan Love, they drafted Aaron Jones, they drafted Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, Jaden Reed, Dontavian Wicks, and essentially drafted Malik Heath and Bo Melton. They drafted Luke Musgrave. They drafted Tucker Craft. They drafted Ben Sims. On the offensive line, they drafted David Bakhtiari. They drafted Rasheed Walker. They drafted Elton Jenkins. They drafted Josh Myers. They drafted John Rennie Jr., Sean Ryan, Zach Tom. That is absurd. Their entire offense is full, aside from the nobodies that don't contribute. They're, all of their main contributors on offense, they drafted them. And on defense... Guess what? It looks almost as good. They drafted Kenny Clark. They drafted TJ Slayton. They drafted Devontae Wyatt. Drafted Carl Brooks, Colby Wooden. They drafted Brashawn Gary, Lucas Van Ness. They drafted Quay Walker and Isaiah McDuffie. They drafted Jair. They drafted Carrington. This year on defense, their main contributors that weren't drafted were Preston Smith, Keyshawn Nixon, Devondre Campbell, Jonathan Owens. That's it. But let's be honest, of those four guys... Who was really the the one player that actually had a good, massively important season? It was Preston Smith. What's my point? My point is that Green Bay, they've gotten back. 
to drafting and developing. And I did a whole episode on this last offseason where I said the Packers have to get back to the Packer way. The Packers are in danger of falling down with Aaron Rodgers, of going down with their Aaron Rodgers ship. But they got out of that. They traded Aaron Rodgers to the Jets. They reset the franchise, and now they are back on path to follow that Packer way forward and set themselves up for sustained, continued success. You look at their 2022, 2023 drafts, Jordan Love in 2020, those are the guys that have set them up in the short term to win a Super Bowl in 2024. And if we want those 15 years of success to, to come, they're just going to have to keep hitting on their drafts. Now, they don't need to hit on their future drafts as well as they did in 2023. Likely over six of their 2023 draft picks are going to be massive players for them going forward. That is absurd. No NFL team can do that, can continuously hit on six guys massively, like nail six guys in a draft. But they do need to keep having success, keep adding talent, and that's going to allow them to sustain their success. I think they're set up beautifully to do that. From the bottom, from Matt LaFleur to, as we move up the chain, Brian Gutekunst and Russ Ball, who's handling the financials as the wizard that he is, as we just keep moving up, everything is set up. Everything is set up for them to follow the Packer way forward, go and compete for a Super Bowl next year, go and compete for a Super Bowl for the next 15 years by drafting, developing, and no, not massively splurging on free agents or making massive trades. Maybe they do it a couple of times. I do think they will do it a couple of times, but they're not going to do it too much. They're going to rely on their drafts. They're going to rely on development. And that's what we're looking for. So that's where that's where we've landed. It's time to get back to opening an extended Super Bowl window. It's time to open. It's time for that window to begin to open next year in 2024, week one. They should be pursuing the Super Bowl. And hopefully they're going to be pursuing that Super Bowl until 2029 or so with only a couple breaks, you know, in between because in the NFL earmuffs me here, shit happens. So the Packers, they're heading back into their own massive Super Bowl window. It is thanks to Gutekunst and the job he's done that they have the opportunity to enter this window, and it will be up to Gutekunst as we move forward to keep that window open. They've set everything up perfectly. They just have to keep it going, and they have to do it right. That's where we're at. That's what I have for you. Thank you so much for listening to Dedicated Packers. I had an absolute blast recording this episode. I just... I love talking about the Packers. I love talking about the Packers when they're in the healthy organizational state that they're in right now. And I can't wait to keep doing that on Sunday as I talk about Jeff Halfley and everything that he's going to bring. Before that, before Sunday, Brian Gutekunst is having his wrap-up end-of-season press conference on Thursday. So tune into that. Who knows what kind of interesting information he'll end up dropping there. But... Until then, until, I guess, Thursday for you guys, but no. Actually, until Sunday, when I'm back, remember the one thing that I'm pretty sure we're going to end up chanting triumphantly for the next 15 years is Jordan Love leads the Green Bay Packers to win after win after win. And what is that one thing? You guys know it. Go Pack, go! Go!